Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm the host of The Sustainable Century. Now, this week, there's been a lot of talk in sustainability circles about the duplicity of big oil, saying they're doing something for climate change when really they're not. They're fighting for their own rights. I want to get into that in a minute, but I want to start by saying one can't be anything, anything but excited about kids skipping school for the fight against climate change. In the face of such youthful hope, however, sits the intransigence of vested big oil and companies, of course, in other industries, who are unwilling or unable to change for the sake of our kids. And we kind of let them do it. Uh, Weak-kneed, compromised politicians and a network of organizations and companies sustaining the economic status quo, the economic status quo, are all but forcing the rest of us to consider and or demand radical change to address climate change. And it's not like there's a shortage of good ideas on how to fix climate change or good policy ideas. Unfortunately, as Tim Wu, a professor at Columbia University and author of The Curse of Bigness, Antitrust in the New Gilded Age, observes, the advocates of bold policy ideas are almost uniformly unable to articulate simple resolutions to these complex problems. And climate change, of course, is anything but simple. I mean, merely calculating the amount of carbon disgorged each year into the biosphere by humans is a feat worthy of a Nobel Prize. Predicting the impact of the carbon is exponentially more difficult, as is finding an... If Professor Wu is right, and I suspect he is, we will only find politically acceptable solutions to climate change when most people can understand and support what's being proposed and how it's going to affect them. Now, massive support is required not just because of the size of the problem. It's needed because climate is the single biggest threat to the status quo of vested economic interests, interests which have proven time and again that they will fight against reason to protect their assets and ways of doing business until, well, it seems the water is lapping at their very doors. To understand the basis of their intransigence against taking action on climate change is absolutely critical. Companies want to protect their productive assets until they can be replaced, which in some cases will take decades. Now, most of you know that assets, uh, assets are those things that can be sold or produce income for companies. The average oil refinery, for example, can cost between $5 billion and $15 billion to build and has an average life expectancy of several decades. Now, those are big numbers. Let's make it more personal. Uh, take a car, for example. Good financial practice suggests depreciating your car to the point where purchasing a new one makes more sense than maintaining the old one. Uh, this means you want to keep your car for 10 to 12 years uh, if you maintain it fairly well. Well, with companies, it's the same, but a bit more complex. Companies have many types of assets. Three stand out. First of all, they make most of their biggest investments in what's called fixed assets. Now, those are machines, fleets of cars, buildings, patents, whatnot. 
They also invest in process assets or unique ways of organizing production, sales, distribution. Companies also invest in employee assets, which uh, manage fixed and process assets. Their experience in a given industry often makes them difficult to replace. Now, together, uh, fixed process and employee assets constitutes the very value and income generating heart of any company. Now, with oil and gas and many other types of companies, there's also resource assets or resource rights assets, uh, land that they purchased or leased for the exploration of resources or for the extraction of resources. And these uh, assets can constitute a big investment for many, many companies, as is the case for big oil. So asking a company and its shareholders or the owners of the shares of a company to give up assets or to devalue them before their productive life is over is like asking your neighbor to stop using her car tomorrow. She might do it if you're willing to pay her the asset value of her car, what she could get for that car on the market. But otherwise, why would she give it up? Now, big oil has aggressively protected its assets. It makes sense. Most companies would. But because energy constitutes anywhere from 50 to 70% of all carbon emissions in the world, big oil is the most vested of vested interests when it comes to climate change, or not countering climate change. The industry has, in fact, been quite unable to adapt to the reality that most oil and gas needs to stay in the ground. Exxon's decade-long cover-up of valuable climate change information is a point of proof. Now, we all know that Exxon knew from their very own climate change research the dangers of oil and gas as early as the mid-1970s. Worse, their knowledge, and that of other big oil companies, of the dangers that they pose to humanity and all other species, for that matter, has frequently been deflected by so-called good intentions. Now let's take Shell for example. Shell was recently congratulated for setting ambitious long-term targets to have emissions of carbon dioxide by 2050. Now how they did this with a straight face while understanding the impending peril of climate change is proof, proof of preference for vestedness over responsible action. Now Shell also recently announced it would tie director bonuses to carbon emissions management. And that's great. This means directors might try to meet emission goals more aggressively. Unfortunately, the bonus scheme only becomes effective around 2025. Now, if you've been paying attention, you'll know that's just five years before the IPPC report predicts carbon emissions will cause irreversible ecological damage to the planet. Meanwhile, even as big oil tries to polish up its image, they have spent something in the order of $1 billion lobbying against anti-climate change policy since 2015, or since the beginning of the Paris Courts. Now, this doesn't even include climate solution thwarting organizations funded by the likes of the Koch brothers, which fight climate change solutions at the grassroots. They fight public transit, fuel standards, solar power subsidies, etc., 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 all to the advantage of big oil. Now, I want to read something that Leon K. of Triple Pundit published yesterday on Triple Pundit. He wrote, 
Influence Maps claims that the world's five largest publicly traded energy companies have spent over $1 billion since the Paris Climate Accords were announced in 2015. The group's most recent report found that these companies have been flouting their climate credentials at the same time as they have been lobbying governments in order to secure and even expand, expand their fossil fuel projects. The insanity doesn't stop here. Despite worldwide revenues of over $2 trillion annually, Big Oil receives more than $400 billion in subsidies on an annual basis from a variety of public sources. Considering Big Oil has an estimated annual worldwide profit of around $160 billion, one could be tempted to conclude a private-public conspiracy is at work. Who can cheerlead for these guys? Well, not me, not anymore. You see, I spent a lot of time in the corporate sustainability movement, you know, hyping any positive action on climate, biodiversity, or social, economic equality, etc. made by companies. We always used to think incremental change would get us where we needed to go. We also truly believed we could cajole, embarrass, invest, and or guide companies into improving their negative environmental and social impacts. I'm afraid to say, I'm afraid to report limited success, even after 30 years of trying. And any honest assessment of corporate sustainability will find, sure, some changes. But as with big oil, positive change is far broader than it is deep. Which is to say, a lot of brands slap on the veneer of sustainability, but they don't really affect a lot of real change. Now, the evidence in this science-challenged era is quite clear. Uh, while some companies are doing some good things, there is still more carbon being spewed into the atmosphere than ever before in human history. There is no decline in plastics polluting our seas and ocean. There is no decline in the loss of natural habitats such as forests, marshlands, and prairie lands. And there is no decline in the lowering rates of water tables. So can we even wonder why kids are protesting in the streets every Friday or why the Extinction Rebellion is disrupting traffic all around the UK with non-violent action or why a few bold politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez risk the smears of conservative pundits by proposing radical fixes to climate change. Uh, one might ask, why do the kids get it and the adults don't? Well, kids... I guess it's like hitting random buttons on an app to see what happens. They're unafraid of change. Also, they don't complicate their understanding of the evidence. Floods, droughts, hurricanes, fires, and losing animals is all bad. Dare I say, dare I say, the problem for adults is equally simple to see. Insidious, intransigent, vested interests, obfuscating, and undermining the truth to their economic advantage. Now, if that doesn't work for them, vested interests stall through litigation. And if they lose, well, it's no big deal. They settle out of court with no admission of guilt. Settlements are usually pretty manageable financially. It happens in every industry. Purdue Pharma, Volkswagen, Exxon, most big banks, Walmart, etc., 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 have all inflicted irreparable harm on individuals, communities, and habitats they get caught and are slapped with largely symbolic fines. My question, after all the purposeful lying, deceit, and damage, why do we allow companies 
to operate. Said Mary Robinson, former Prime Minister of Ireland, in a recent interview with The Guardian. Go Guardian, great, great newspaper. Check out the Sustainable Guardian section. Always good stuff. Anyways, Mary Robinson said, We have entered a new reality where fossil fuel companies have lost their legitimacy and social license to operate. Further, she says, Exploration for new reserves must end given that most of existing reserves must be kept in the ground if global warming is to be tackled. Do big oil companies deserve their licenses to operate? Well, if you care about the environment. In fact, if you care about civilization, they really don't. Thinking that this is a moot question and that we can't close them down. Well, we can. The law is on our side. It's very clear. We have every right to withhold the operating license of any company if they are acting against the common and not the vested good. So with this in mind, and as recommended by Professor Wu, my solution to climate change is quite simple. Nationalize Exxon. The cost? Well, the cost to buy up all Exxon shares would be a mere $150 billion. And that's about 1% of the U.S. gross domestic product on an annual basis. But better yet, let's nationalize all energy companies dealing oil and natural gas. cost of this very simple idea, well, it's about $2.5 trillion or 3% of the world's gross domestic product on an annual basis. That would be a deal at even twice the price. I would never suggest that governments keep and operate the assets. They're terrible at business, worse at innovation, and we do need reliable sources of energy into the future. Instead, big oil assets would be sold off or even gifted to clean energy companies with board participation from leading climate change nonprofits and workers. The singular goal of these companies would be to rapidly and radically transform all energy assets from carbon to non-carbon emitting sources by 2030. It is a simple and perhaps the most rapid course of responsible action on climate change. Uh, uh, yeah, and it would cause great outrage and rending of hair and cloth. But don't listen to that noise. Not as many vested interests would surely claim be the end of the world. Rather, it would be the end of their entitlement and the beginning of a new, braver world. Okay, right. While my policy prescription may seem simple in theory, the reality would be a good deal messier. My response to that? So what? Anyone who's worked for a large business knows that behind the facade of pristine conference rooms and reception areas, chaos and indecision are the norm. What's a little more? And yes, jobs would be lost, at least initially. Proven employment-generating capacity of clean energy would soon more than compensate for any losses. And yes, we must, of course, show some compassion for people who work for Exxon, Shell, and the like. But not much. Like tobacco executives who misled the public for years peddling a deadly product, employees at energy firms know what they're into. Writes New York Times columnist, Paul Krugman kills people and tobacco companies that tried to confuse the public about that reality were being evil. But climate change isn't just killing people. It may well kill civilization. Trying to confuse the public about that is evil at a whole different level. Don't some of these people have children? Well, that's Paul Krugman of the New York Times. And about the disruption... And about loss of employment, again, I say, so what? 
Besides, I suspect that many of the oil company workers and employees will later thank us for the courage of our... Oil, it seems, is proving a worse addiction than oxytocin. And yes, conventional economists will cry about this or that lost economic or financial value. They will say incremental change allowing companies to depreciate assets is the only responsible course of action for the economy and society. Well, this is a demonstrably narrow, regressive, and dare I say, incorrect view of what constitutes value. The great majority of people, happy and healthy and a decent income is the benchmark of value, and not overconsumption, material wealth, and a collapsing environment. General economists are also intellectually disingenuous. Any economist worth their salt knows protecting toxic assets can have few possible positive outcomes. Far from being responsible, economic obfuscation is complicit with big oil hiding their climate evidence or protecting their assets to humanity's great detriment. Simply put, economists protecting the economic value of big oil is killing us, and that has to change. So yes, there would be sacrifices, sacrifices all around, but particularly to the vested interests. But radical action demands sacrifices. Waiting around for Exxon or Shell or any of these big oil companies to devalue their assets by 2050 makes absolutely no sense. Yes, you as a consumer, the average person will also have to make some sacrifices. Any of them might not be very comfortable, but I will guarantee you this. I will guarantee you this, the sacrifices made for breaking up big oil will be minuscule, minuscule compared to those that we would have to make if radical action is not taken in the next two or three years. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm the host of The Sustainable Century. Check our website out at thesustainablecentury.net. You're going to find unbiased, unfiltered blogs, pods, and vids offering news, opinion, do-it-yourself, and lifestyle information for a happier, healthier, more sustainable world. Thanks again for listening. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out The Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember, to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you, it's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.